I've been labeled almost like a tortured soul, you know, like so much potential, but just such devastatingly poor choices or mm. impulse, you know, like I'm definitely can look back now that I'm learning about this poor impulse control and just all this. And I'm like, ah, you know, because there was just a lot of times where I would do things and even I'm sitting there like, why did I do that? Like what in the world? I've been in hindsight, you know what I'm saying? And they're like, you got to think, Jeremy. I was like, I try. I really do. And it's, I couldn't really explain it because that was almost like a debilitating thing with people considering me intelligent. Like you're too smart to not know. ADHD Rewired episode 328. This is the podcast for those of us with really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. I'm Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker by training and a coach by design. I'm your host and I have ADHD. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community. We are wired for connection and you are not alone. Go to ADHDrewired.com to learn how you can join us in our free secret Facebook group. Get additional resources for every episode, including links to any resources we mention on today's show. You can support us on Patreon, sign up for our email newsletter, you can request podcast postcards to distribute to your clients and support groups, and you can learn all about our intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups. You can do all of this at our website, ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest is Jeremy Franklin. Jeremy is a 46-year-old freshman at Marshall University. His path back to school has been anything but typical. So has the majority of his life been anything but typical. A lot of instances of being in trouble, a lot of love, caring, and divine people, as he says, uh, showing up to help him along the way from as extreme points as one could travel. Jeremy has definitely acquired unique perspectives along the way, now embracing the very truth he ran from for so long. Jeremy has set out to succeed in his journey with ADHD, amongst other things. So, Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Hey, good to be here, Eric. Thank you. You bet. So just for some context, I'm not exactly sure when this will come up, but we are recording this on March 31st, uh, 2020 in the midst of the COVID-19 epidemic where everyone is on sort of lockdown. So if any references to that, depending on when this comes out, um, you'll know when this is recorded. So you uh, were recently diagnosed with uh, with ADHD, you said about six months ago. You've had a pretty interesting... uh, journey from homelessness to um and when you were in college you played uh you played uh baseball um so share with us give us some um some sort of snapshots of of jeremy uh maybe when when you were younger and then uh so kind of take us up to the point where we are today so um what was what were things like for you when you were uh when you were a kid like a whirlwind really that's that's the best uh, description I can give it. But so I was raised by my dad. You know, he had full custody of my brother and I. Mm-hmm. I have like an Irish twin brother. He's 10 and a half months older than me. And we grew up just really, uh, I don't know, hand to mouth. You know what I mean? It's like a daily, 
going out, getting it what you needed to live that day and kind of just making it to the next day. And it's kind of like the atmosphere that I was, I don't know, that I was raised up in as far as, uh, I didn't have everything I wanted, but I had what I needed. And all I know is I was always in trouble. Like some of my earliest memories are being told no. And my response I could gain at that time was not typical because everyone seemed to be like, Oh my God, what's wrong with this boy? But like my first day of kindergarten, this back in the day when they would still put the wood to you, like I got paddled oh, man. my first day of kindergarten. So and that was a pretty like regular occurrence throughout my school. Oh wow. Yeah. So it's like, I was not breaking to their standards, <laughs> I guess, so to speak, but I was loved. Like I was almost that enigma because behavioral issues and things like that. And I can get into a little sidebar of that because there's like medical reasons. My mom was, uh, I think we talked about this whenever we did our pre-interview, she had had a massive stroke when she was pregnant with my brother. Mm. So she was on heavy doses of like phenobarbital and anti-seizure medications when she was just eating me. I don't know anyone ever put that together, but I had a lot of physical ailments like breathing issues and mm. things like that growing up. So it's almost like that's what got focused on my behavioral issues kind of just got put to the side and, you know, as being a little boy or whatever. And, and you said you're, you were raised by your, your dad, but your grandma was also a big part of your, your life, right? Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. That was like my maternal figure pretty much. So what about, you know, take us, uh, for it a little bit more uh, through like high school? Well, it just always was, a, I don't know, the best way to put it is there was always like trying to be good. That's all I knew. It took a lot of effort for me to not blurt out, you know, do all the things. They're like, you can't do that. And I'm like, okay. But I was intelligent enough and like, I guess, personable enough and I was liked enough that I don't know, it just kind of balanced itself out. People tolerated my behavioral issues and because I was, I don't know, whatever they thought of me as. I was always excelling in sports, you know what I'm saying? I was mm -hmm. always, I don't know, playing any kind of sports or anything like that in school. I was always like, I was voted the best athletic ability in my elementary school, just stuff like mm -hmm. that, you know. Were you uh, were you one of those, those kids that people generally knew that you weren't you generally weren't trying to misbehave? Um, mm -hmm. So it's like you were maybe highly impulsive, but you weren't an asshole. No, I was. They said I was an asshole too sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but I was very highly impulsive. But uh, the people that knew me knew that I had a good heart. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And so it's kind of like you know how when you grow up in a culture and you're just with everyone and you have your moments, but people know you're a good person, yeah. you know, cause we all have our meltdowns, but it was really difficult because we moved around a lot. Like whenever I was uh, younger, there was some issues. We moved from Dayton, Ohio to Jamestown, Tennessee. Okay. And that's where I went to my kindergarten elementary school. And then probably about seventh grade moved back up to Ohio and went from like junior high to my junior year of high school there and then moved from Ohio to Kentucky. And that's where I finished out my high school. So I was kind of bouncing around 
interesting side note on that, like all three schools that I went to in the three different states were all purple and gold. <laughs> the, the one in Tennessee was purple and gold. The one in Ohio was purple and gold. And then I moved to the place in Kentucky. They were purple and gold. It was wild. It's like, I can't get away from these colors. <laughs> so between, uh, between then and now there was a lot that, uh, you, you experienced, mm-hmm. um, you hitchhiked across country at some point. When, when was that? Uh, that was like in 1998. Okay. It was like my first venture across the country and traveling really. I just kind of like took off. I don't know. I just had this, just wasn't settled. You know what I'm saying? Like I was about five years out of high school and I just wasn't like, I was at that point where like people are like, okay, you got to do something. Cause I set out a year after I graduated high school. Okay. Because it's, it's I had, happier. Um, uh, well, I had a, I had a marriage. And I had a child. Yeah. So that was during or right after high school. Actually, I was married three days before I graduated high school. Wow. Yeah. Because she was pregnant and she told me when we got back from our spring break and um, a lot of this, a lot of that. But bottom line was that was when I moved to Kentucky and I kind of got with her. And I didn't really establish a social circle Mm -hmm. because I got right into that relationship as soon as I moved there. But it was, let's just say a teenage relationship, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of whatever and very volatile and just very intense emotionally. And, um, I was like backing up out of it. And then that's when she came and she's like, I'm pregnant. And I was like, Oh no. Cause I had opportunities to go on after high school and play ball yeah. from a few different schools. And I remember I was just under this immense amount of pressure because like familiarly, you know, like my dad, there was the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Like I was caught in that generational transition between doing the right thing and being smart about how you approach a situation and I was almost like out of body experience, man. Mm. For real. It was such a shocking turn of events in my life. Like I really didn't know how to approach it. Like I didn't have any grounded coping mechanisms. So what were the, you know? what were like your, what was your dad and your, your grandma um, kind of telling you? Uh, well, that was like right at a point where my dad had just lost his best friend, but I think he was more traumatized by the whole situation because his dream for me didn't pan out because he always pulled for me to be playing ball. You know, that Mm -hmm. was the goal I had and I was good enough, you know, to move on and uh, just things didn't add up. Does that make sense? Like there was just too many missing pieces and too, too little like transitional progress, but he took it really hard. I think he got like very intoxicated for a little while because that's how he coped with it. Right. Mm. And, um, I was just numb really, you know, cause I never imagined being married and having a kid on the way. And basically I, for, I didn't go to school because I was going to do the right thing. And I was like at a point of not really knowing how to proceed and it seemed like, you know, my grandma's old school, do the right thing, you know, take care of your business. And everybody's like, what's your intentions? And I'm just like, be responsible. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. Right. So what did you do? Got a job or what? Yeah, I got a job. I was working quite a bit, 
but it's just such a volatile relationship, like very volatile, not healthy. Are you still, are you still in communication uh, with her? Actually, we do communicate every now and then things took a really like, okay. So it was so unhealthy that I kind of looked at her about six months into the marriage. And I was like, look, I'm not really sure what it's supposed to be like, but I know it's not supposed to be like this. And my only inclination at that time was like, it's not fair to this innocent child. You know, this was my perspective. And I said, if I have to step away from this to get this volatility down, because there was just some, you know, it was getting physical and things like that. Mm. And it was just not healthy. You know what I'm saying? And I was raised, you don't, you don't hit women. You don't do this, but I got to protect myself because seemed to pick women who are very intense emotionally and very aggressive for Mm. some reason. So that was kind of like my first experience of dealing with things like that. And I made that choice and it's almost like a social stigmatism to it's kind of like took a life of its own. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Oh, you stepped away, you did this. And I had to bear the brunt of that. And it really messed with me because I, the judgment, you know, I've always been like hypersensitive to like any kind of cues from people that they might not approve or they might be, you know, like I'm doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And I've always looked externally to be like, am I doing it right? Because every time I think I'm doing something properly, somebody's always like, you can't do that, Jeremy. And I'm like, Oh, what do I do then? (laughs) Just tell me and I'll do it. So, um, it was at this time then, then that you, uh, you decided to hitchhike across the country. No, actually there was a school that I ended up going to the next year. Okay. I was telling you whenever I was planning on doing the pre-med thing, there was one school who still had, you know, like honored the offer they had made me the year before. So basically I just took a year out, worked a lot. And then I had the opportunity to go to school. It was a little private school in Kentucky. Um, but the bottom line was I was, once I got there, it was more like party and girls and kind of cut loose and almost like my own decompression from the whole traumatic event not understanding traumatized behavior at that time, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's total PTSD stuff right there. Mm. So was there a point in, and are you, are you now, um, do you, uh, do you talk to your kids? Do you have a relationship? Uh, not that one. Okay. There was a chain of events that took place where I had to make the choice to just take it on the chin, so to speak, and make some decisions that was going to benefit him you know, for his centeredness and well-being and sense of continuity in life. And it just, you know, all, um, I mean, I own my part in it. You know, I was young, didn't know really what to do, but I tried to do the right thing and it just kind of didn't work out like that. And you have to just accept that I've always put it in the vein of I'm here. If you're curious, want to know my side of it because he's only been given one side of the whole equation. So it sounds like there was this, this sort of uh, underlying feeling that you kept trying to do the right thing and in effort to do the right thing, you ended up blowing shit up all the time. Um, and so it was just like fear of like, or maybe the right thing is just to like, you know, minimize any collateral damage that's going to happen from doing the right thing. I mean, is that, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, because I mean, I never intentionally set out to like make things all jacked up or intense or things just always seem to be a big deal around me. 
Mm. very explosive, very intense, very, it wasn't just a little thing, you know, how people, like everybody's throwing little pebbles in the pond. Yeah. I, I picked the big rock up and go, kaboom, and everybody's like, it's <laughs> a good metaphor. That's, just, that's the best <laughs> metaphor I can come up with for my life and how my impact gauges. Like, and you splash everyone around you and you're like, what? I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah, what, man? <laughs> <laughs> Thought we was making splashes. They did. <laughs> they did a good one. <laughs> um, so you said he did end up with, with PTSD. There was a point where you started, uh, there was some drug use, you're homeless. When, when did that? Uh... Well, just to break it down real quick, like, so after the year of school, like I didn't complete, um, because of course, you know, like you're too far behind to catch this up. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I'll take a summer course and I'll get it and I'll still have my financial aid and all that stuff. Well, then they're like, you got to have the money up front or you can't come to class. So then I was like, damn the man, you know, money, hungry people, blah, blah, blah. I'm free. I'm going to do this. And I was just really on my kick. You know what I'm saying? I was like, what, 21, 22? So you know how it is at that age. You're just right, you, like, you think you're an adult. You don't, you don't realize how much you don't know about life. Dude, for <laughs> real. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, and to not even just not, the inexperience of life, yeah. but to really not have a grasp on it to start with because you really haven't been kind of like handled the right way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Cause you kind of like, because people just weren't trying to hear, the ADHD, whatever thing at that time in our culture, you know what I'm saying? It's like, if I were to be in society today, like I'm so amazed when I go to school here, just, I ask for help and they're like, Oh yeah, we got you. Like Mm. it's something that people are really taking interest in. And it's, it's hard for me to adjust to it because I rarely even give myself credit for having things to deal with that I deal with. Mm. And I know I jumped track. I knew I should have like done some little jot notes so I didn't get <laughs> rambling. Cause it's like, I've, it's taken me like three different times to share my story at certain like events. Right. <laughs> like come back next week and finish and then the next week. They're like come back next week and finish. Cause it's not quick. You know, it, it's just very packed, but for the next few years after that, I just kind of lived in Cincinnati, partied, went to Dayton, um, 96, my birth mom, uh, something, there was an incident that happened, but she got caught in a fire, uh, really wasn't ever truly determined like what happened. So she was like badly burnt. And, uh, you know, that was another one of those things. Like I really didn't have that cohesive of a relationship with my mom but I knew my grandmother and my aunts on that side, you know, like they were a very active part of our life. Um, so I went there. That was another thing. It's kind of like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know how to feel about it. So that was 96. And that's when I started like drinking heavy, heavy and started having consequences from legal perspectives because I was just out of control. And looking back in hindsight, I was grieving you know, but wasn't really any kind of like mechanism to say, Hey, you're grieving. You're going to experience some very intense things because in my mind, I didn't really have that close of a relationship with my mom. So it shouldn't affect me like that. Right. It's almost like I got this model of what they said it should be like, but I'm not experiencing it like that, but I'm trying to put myself into that model of what they said. 
but it's not adding up, right? That's the thing that, you know, I think screws us up most uh, in life is, mm-hmm. you know, having this story in our in our mind of how things should be and trying to compare ourselves and our lives to that story. And when we realize, right. I don't know whose story that is, but that ain't mine. It ain't mine. Right. Well, I still battle today to try to find this balance of my voice, right? Because I try to be considerate. I was just this kind of kid. My grandma took me to church growing up. I couldn't reconcile the fact of Jesus loved in Sunday school and God hated in church. Hmm. I said, but there's not supposed to be any conflict there. So I asked the preacher, right? And he's like, how old are you, son? And I was like, I'm five. He's like, you're too young to ask those questions. So I kicked him, right? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, that seems like the logical thing to do. And, you know. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't give me the answer I wanted. I was just that kind of impulsive kid, right? It was just, I don't know. And I remember them telling me that story because they tried to guilt me and be like, that's why that preacher left, because you kicked him. I'm like, I don't know, man. Oh, man. But you've had a lot of uh, adults in your life, too, that while there there were many who weren't there for you. You also did have a lot who who were there for you. So it took me until I was probably in my 11, 12, 13, right around in Mm -hmm. there. It just dawned on me one day that I couldn't have all these aunts and uncles on my dad's side because he was an only child. So it was always like a very strong model of extended family. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is your uncle so-and-so. This is your aunt so-and-so. And it was all just Cause my dad was like, he rode bikes. He was like in a, you know, rode my Harleys and stuff like that. So I kind of grew up with this credo of rights, right. You know what I'm saying? There's judicious behavior and you're honest. You take responsibility, you own what you do. And so I was really instilled with like some good virtues. You know what I'm saying? But I also like would step over drunk, passed out people in my house to go to church with my grandma. Oh man, what you know the, what I mean? Yeah. It's just, wow. That was the norm because wow. I was loved. Like I didn't have to worry about any kind of like predatory behavior. You know what I'm saying? Like when I look at my childhood, I don't feel like I had a bad childhood because I was protected and I was loved and I felt safe. It was chaotic as hell. You know what I'm saying? I almost dropped the F bomb on you, but that's all right. It was very, it was very, very chaotic. Let's just say that. But there was some semblance of normalcy to me. Like it's just what it was. You don't know any different. It's, uh, you know, I mentioned at the very start of that when we're recording this, uh, you know, I've, I've heard a, 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 you know, a handful of people that I've been talking to, uh, during the, this COVID-19, uh, epidemic, we're all kind of on lockdown and people are saying it's very strange because they see everyone around them kind of freaking out and they feel surprisingly calm. Um, and so I think sometimes there is a, that element of, uh, with, with ADHD that we can feel very calm in a sense of when and there's chaos around us. It's, it's those times when there's things are calm around us that, that sometimes we have this tendency to create the chaos, um, cause, yeah. of, cause of that need for, for stimulation. Um, right. what I want to do real quick is, uh, Keep is me take, occupied. <laughs> what I want to do real quick is take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to, uh, I want to hear a little bit more about, um, what happened with, uh, where you were, you were homeless. There was, um, uh, some, some time in prison. Um, 
Cause right, cause right now, you know, so the, 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 the good stuff's still coming, but the even better stuff is what you're doing uh, right now. So there's so much that we can, uh, I think, uh, learn from your, your journey. So, um, before the Odyssey, we, so to speak, <laughs> before we get into all of that, let's take a, uh, a quick break and we will be right back. Have you just been diagnosed with ADHD and you're trying to figure it out or were you diagnosed years ago? Do you know someone who has it? Whatever the reason that brings you here, welcome. Whether you are new to the podcast or you've been listening for a while, welcome to ADHD Rewired. We connect here by sharing stories through the podcast. We look to find connection through these stories and also bring growth-minded individuals together in our Facebook community and through our coaching groups. If you are interested in joining our coaching and accountability groups, We have filled all 24 spots for our summer coaching groups, but you can still join our wait list. Go to coachingrewire.com and scroll down to the coaching page and send us a message so we can send you all the details on how to get on the wait list. You can also be the first to receive an invitation to our registration event for our fall coaching groups. Go to coachingrewire.com and click on the black button to join our interest list for our fall coaching groups. We're doing our fall sessions October 12th through December 18th. What are you waiting for? We fill up every season. Get on the list so you can be the first to receive an invitation to our registration event for our fall coaching groups. Registration is by invitation only. Go to coachingrewired.com and click on that black button. That's coachingrewired.com. Support for this podcast is brought to you by our patrons who give over at ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. I want to thank some of our new patrons, Sharon R. at the $5 level and Wendy L., our newest member at the $25 level. Thank you so much. Consider giving at ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. I really do appreciate everyone's support. If you are able to support this podcast, I sincerely thank you. For those of you who are able to give at the $25 a month level and those of you who are wanting to join our next group coaching call for patrons at the $25 a month level, we are doing it Tuesday, July 28th at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Our last one we just had last week was a really great session. Consider giving at the $25 a month level and join us. Our group coaching calls are every fourth Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. If you can't support the podcast financially, consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast player. All of your support is appreciated. To become a patron, go to ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That's ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. And thanks. All right. We are back with Jeremy Franklin. And uh, all right. So, Jeremy, uh, life growing up for you was kind of a roller coaster, a lot of chaos, a lot of uh, um, uh, unplanned ventures. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's also uh, uh, valuable to, to point out to you may or may not be aware of this, that with ADHD, as a looking at it through the lens of a developmental uh, delay, that, you know, an 18 year old with ADHD is really more like a 15 year old with ADHD, mm-hmm. right? Learning that. 
So I'm just it's, now like doing a crash course, like studying, listening to Russell Barkley and just absorbing it. You guys, you know, Brandon Mahan, I think is mm-hmm. his name, Mahan, you know, mm-hmm. like some really good information. And it's like, I'm trying to integrate all these tools, you know, so it's like the old dog's got to learn new tricks to survive and progress, like progress. I also want to point out just real quick that with the chaos, there is still a lot of solidity you know, like solidarity as far as like values being instilled Mm -hmm. and, you know, just there was, it was almost like a perfect storm of, whoa, but Hey, that's kind of what we want people learning these days. I got to point that out because sometimes everybody tends to like get wrapped up in their drama. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you and I take these long roundabout ways to explain things. That's how we have conversations here on the podcast. We, we, we yeah. don't, we don't do the linear thing very well. Cool. Good. <laughs> Some people get mad when you don't do it that way. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's amazing how many people will, will tell me like, man, I can, I can follow your conversations and they kind of go everywhere and it's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Like what's a back and forth conversation? Like people get mad. It's like, no, it's like a tennis it's like tennis back and forth, back and forth. I'm like, I like racquetball. <laughs> <laughs> We're racquetball like ex- extreme, extreme racquetball, put like an obstacle in the middle of the court and, uh, <laughs> Put like a rock climbing wall on it so you can like bounce off the side with a trampoline in there somehow. Well, that's funny. I've been, uh, so I play a lot of pickleball and, uh, since we're all on like lockdown, um, I have been playing pickleball in my office against the wall. I I sort of like moved all the furniture out of the way in the waiting room. Uh, and I've been just, you know, hitting the ball against the wall because I, I was kind of going stir crazy. And, um, so yeah, that's, um, speaking of tangents, let's bring it back. So tell us, uh, (laughs) that's a fun road though, man. I used to throw a ball against the wall for hours and just totally enjoy myself you know it is sort of there is sort of a meditative kind of quality Mm -hmm. to that repetitive nature of you know hitting a ball against the wall throwing a ball against the wall my brother's like i knew something was wrong with you then (laughs) (laughs) he's like he's like no seven six seven year old can just throw a ball for hours and just be happy yeah oh man i'm in my zone he's like but you can't sit still for nothing else i'm like nope so let's let's kind of uh, hit some of the uh, I guess the the highlights of the the you know the obstacles that you've uh, uh, that you that you encountered. So there was uh, there was some prison. Well, okay. So to get this all in perspective, I feel bad because I didn't get you your hitchhiking story <laughs> because that begat bring it uh, back. Some more, right. <laughs> that 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 begat some more offspring and more relationships and more extended family and more people that were like solid looking out for me and holding space for me when I was just finding myself for lack of a better term or just trying to. So it's almost like a, I've been labeled almost like a tortured soul, you know, like so much potential, but just such devastatingly poor choices or Mm. impulse, you know, like I'm definitely can look back now that I'm learning about this poor impulse control and just all this. And I'm like, ah, you know, because there was just a lot of times where I would do things. And even I'm sitting there like, why did I do that? Like what in the world? I've been in hindsight, you know what I'm saying? And they're like, you got to think Jeremy. I was like, I try. I really do. And it's, I couldn't really explain it because that was almost like a debilitating thing with people considering me intelligent. Like you're too smart to right. not and know that 
it has nothing to you know intelligence and our executive functions our ability yeah. to to inhibit you know reactions and responses to stuff mm-hmm. uh those are not you know yes it's all part of the brain but not the same mechanisms no and as like the light that came on when these things started being scientifically like deduced and explained. I was like, Whoa, okay. So there's things we can do with this and kind of navigate that. And my dad used to just tell me, he's like, son, it's just going to be a matter of just progressing chronologically. Like you're just going to grow out of it. And I'm like, still waiting, (laughs) still waiting. (laughs) When's this going to happen? But so in 98, when I hitchhiked out West, I ended up stopping in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And so I always end up kind of like in these very impulsive meeting, you know, people and getting really close. Like I'm just a personable guy. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I don't know, like within a day, like I met a girl and she's like, come home and meet my family and come do this. And I can get you a job. Cause I was going out there to work on one of the ranches for the summer okay. you know, and do the summer thing and just kind of keep going after that to California. So from 98, it took me all the way until 2008 to get to California. <laughs> <laughs> is this, is I this got there, right? Was during this time was, is this when he lived with the rainbow uh, family? Yeah, that was like travel with them for a little bit. Went to nationals in uh, Arizona. That was kind of like, different you know what i'm saying because for being so pc free love it was like awful rigid mm. you know like you can't do that i'm like i thought it was free man <laughs> like when you say free to me i'm gonna be free and just be me but it's, um, it's free as long as you do it our way yeah exactly exactly and that's kind of like you almost see the duality in some things and kind of learn I'm not going to say that ideals are smashed, but you learn the reality of like the facts, you know what I'm saying? You you hear one thing, but when you experience it, I just never was the kind of person like the whole church thing just never resonated with me. You know what I'm saying? I was like, it did on one level. Well, you knew that from when time you were five years old. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I put the thread through it, but it's just like, it's bigger than what they're saying. It can't just be this because it doesn't make sense. Because I know you said that you were, you were pursuing your like spirituality is, is really important uh, to you at this point in your life. Um, give give us the uh, just like because I I think it 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 how I think it will help us uh, sort of take away understand sort of where you are now and sort of what led to that because um, you know. Choosing the easy path is not one, not, not a path that uh, maybe you even knew was an option. Uh. <laughs> I always wanted it. I mean, I, I was like, there is an easier, softer way, right? It's just, um, I don't know. I just couldn't ever break away from what I felt inside. You know what I'm saying? Like, I kind of felt like that's where you meet your source. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is to you, you know, whatever. So Ben Harper, you know who that is? The musician? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've been listening to him for a long time. And so he wrote a song called burn one down Mm -hmm. and it's about smoking. But the bottom line was he goes, your choice is what you choose to do. And if you're causing no harm, it doesn't bother me. Like my choice is what I choose to do. And if I'm causing no harm, it shouldn't bother you. Right. Like you do you, I'll do me and we'll find a level to coexist. I've just always been very peaceful like that but I kind of like also have been very uh, battle 
you know what I'm saying? Like battle tested, I guess. Cause I've been in plenty of altercations just because of like sureness and believing in what I stood for. And um, that just, I guess after a while you just learn that nobody ever wins a fight kind of, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I would always try to start out diplomatic, but you know, kind of like Jordan Peterson talks about there's, you know, there's only so far you can go verbally exchanging ideas and stances and beliefs. And pretty soon as men, you know what I'm saying? That's just kind of like hardwired in our nature too. And the gender is that, uh, you know, once words stop, you go to the next level. And my brother looked at me when my dad was passing away. And he's like, man, he said, you look like our, our bulldog. We used to have a pit bull growing up and he was just always in fights. You know what I'm saying? Dogs coming into the yard. And, um, but he always had like scars and scraps, like scrapes and stuff like that on top of his head because he stayed low, you know, and he had a lot of heart. Let's just put it like that. And I know mm. this is a big tangent. That's why I should have taken notes and come back to you. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you mentioned when we first talked uh, about um, in addition to the, the ADHD diagnosis and having anxiety and depression, um, there's also rejection, uh, sensitivity, dysphoria. Um, and, and I want to bring this up because, you know, you are someone who has um, not taken the easiest path, uh, has, has dealt with a lot of really challenging things that, that for a lot of people could have, you know, could have left them despondent and uh, just given up. You said you, you told me that at one point you had a whole town that wanted you to leave. Yeah, I did. <sighs> <laughs> well, kind of like because I just told him what I felt very directly and very straightforward and you know because they were certain people in certain positions you weren't allowed to talk to them like that but my model has always been like i'll give you what you give me i'm a very clear reflection of if i'm being a dick you know it's because you ain't coming correct because i'll meet you where you're at if you're being cool we'll be cool that's something i learned in my partying days like when substances would kind of take you out and the inhibitions would drop and you're just very responsive. Like whatever the energy was in the room, I was the most of it. Are you, uh, are you sober now or? I am. I'm on my medication. Like I finally, once I got medicated because I was like, Oh wow. <laughs> Look at this. Let's, let's talk about that as soon as we take a, one more quick break. Um, okay. because, uh, I, I mean, you're back in college, you are, you're doing an Oh wow. And, uh, so I think that diagnosis probably had a lot to do with it. So let's, uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap us up after the break. So we will be right back. Hey, if you missed last week's virtual ADHD summit, the succeed with ADHD summit hosted by Lori Dupar. You can still access all of the replays by going to ADHDrewired.com slash succeed2020. That's ADHDrewired.com slash succeed2020. You can purchase the success pack for I think it's like 97 bucks. It's a lot of really good speakers and we hope you enjoy. That's ADHDrewired.com slash succeed2020. And be sure to use that link so they know that I sent you. This week on Hacking Your ADHD, part two of Fighting Resistance. 
Join Will as he explores ways that you can work with your ADHD brain to do more of the things that you want to do. Subscribe to these short, mindful ways to hack your ADHD. If you haven't checked it out, do yourself a favor. Hit pause, go subscribe, and just like this podcast, you'll get new episodes on your podcast player automatically. You can go to hackingyouradhd.com for show notes and also to subscribe. And every Friday, check out ADHD Essentials with Brendan Mahan. At ADHD Essentials, they help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage ADHD. Both Hacking Your ADHD and ADHD Essentials are both part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network, available to everyone, everywhere you consume podcasts. And you can join all of us, Will Curb from Hacking Your ADHD and Brendan Mahan from ADHD Essentials, every second Tuesday of the month for a live Q&A. Our next one is on July 14th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash events to register for this and a bunch of our upcoming live Q&As. Register once and you can get reminders for the next several months ahead. Join us every second Tuesday of the month, 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern for an hour of live Q&A. Register for free at ADHDrewired.com slash Events And don't forget to like our Facebook page because we usually also stream our live Q&As there. That's ADHDrewired.com slash events. We'll see you there. All right. We are back with Jeremy Franklin. And um, what was it that led you to get diagnosed? Um, I'm going to say divine intervention. Because we, you talked earlier in the podcast, you alluded to the time that I was incarcerated. That was a direct result of my ADHD because I would not adhere or could not adhere to stipulations and guidelines in the legal system. And it culminated in me having to do prison time, which I never went to like prison, prison. I was in county jails and stuff like that. And with my history, Ended up having to do like substance abuse programs and things like that. But that was right when my dad was getting sick. Like my grandma had passed away. My dad was getting sick. Things just weren't right. Uh, I had another relationship that was dissolving. (sighs) Everything that like ended in my life ended very intensely because there's just only so far I'm going to go, you know, like you just call it what it is. After a while, there's only so much you can be quiet and, you know, people like Jeremy, just be quiet and just, you know, fall back. I don't know what that looks like, you know, really. Um, So there was the best way to put this It's very intense time. So it's still like I'm still processing a lot of that out. I'm just now kind of taking steps back into like myself, if that makes sense. So it's like you can only go so far before you got to go the other way to balance out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think it's like, if I'm not mistaken, there's a theory that says like, you can only go so far in a direction before you're back where you started. <laughs> like the, it's like a circle, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's like a pendulum. And I know I often talk yeah. about that in, in uh, my coaching groups is that, you know, we, when we are trying to address some kind of behavioral change, um, we tend to swing the other way and then, you know, and then we kind of swing back when we realize that maybe we swung too far. Then we, we try to find a new middle ground. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's, every action has an opposite yet equal reaction and it's overcorrecting. So the thing for me was knowing something wasn't right mm-hmm. and being threatened with legal consequences and me saying, okay, if you're going to threaten me with legal consequences, I'm telling you, I need help. They're like, you're too smart to not be able to do this. That thing again. Right. And I'm like, okay, so if I'm so smart, do I not seem smart enough that this is not a path I would choose that any person in their right mind would not let consequences like this be the end result of their inability to take care of things. And this is what you're telling the judge. Yeah, I mean, everybody, like the people in the legal offices that I dealt with. And it's just, and it was all my inability to manage money or to remember, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I had somebody calling me multiple times a day, be like, Jeremy, go do this now. Jeremy, go do Now I'd kind of set up a lot of coping mechanisms for myself to be able to navigate social structure because it just wasn't in my wheelhouse, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me do things my way. I'll figure it out. It's not going to be the way you want me to do it, but it'll, what's the end result? What needs to be done? And let me just do it myself. No, you can't do that. You got to do it this way. I don't want to do it that way. Lifelong problem, right? That's why I got paddled my first day of kindergarten. You got to do it this way, Jeremy. No, I don't. I don't. I will do it the way I want to do it. But anyway, the thing was, everything kind of like came to a head, like the pressure, because there's this like paralysis, this analysis paralysis, like, you know, things are looming and it's like the bigger it gets on you, like the less you can do. And so it's like, things would just be like that. And it's like, I would just go over here and do this. But, um, when my family started to fall apart, my relationship fell apart that I was in. And I just made a choice just to go self-medicate because I'm not stupid. You know what I'm saying? I know what I did the research because it was the year I went to college. Actually, we stayed up midterm studying and one of my buddies had brought some of his brothers Ritalin back from his hometown okay. and everybody was taking it to stay up. Right. I took it and I was like, I went out and I was like, dude, I cannot afford to fall asleep right now. Like I'm crunching to get my papers done. Right. And he's like, bro, you got the ADHD. (laughs) He's like, there's no way you would have responded like that if you did. Well, you need to look into that. Yeah. I mean, it used to be that people would say that your response to a medication was a, uh, was an indication of whether or not you actually have ADHD. We actually now know that's not actually the case because everybody responds a bit differently. Okay. Well, all I know is it relaxed me. And like I said, I'm coming from like, what is, what are you talking about? ADHD? Like, I, you know, just like everybody I've heard of it, but it's this, you know, I've heard it's in little kids that you can't get to sit still. That's what I enjoy listening to you guys about because I'm learning a lot of things, but that kind of like planted the seed and it started making things make sense. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but nobody's trying to hear it. They're like, you're a grown man, take care of your business, do this. And I'm like, okay, try as I may, try as I might. I just couldn't, couldn't make him happy. So I choose to be homeless because I'm not putting up with nobody's BS. I'm not like kowtowing to anybody, you know, cause I would rather stand up for what I believe in than live with all the amenities of a comfortable life, knowing that I am not honoring my truth. That's just kind of like a, baseline thing about me and I'll do that. You know what I'm saying? I got in a lot of trouble over my life for that, but 
so there's this homeless like a uh, mission in the town in Kentucky, like where they didn't want me, you know, people are just like, you just need to go away. You've already created too many enemies here in the wrong places and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they were doing the best they could. I got to give it that, you know what I'm saying? They were just doing what they knew how to do. I was just doing what I knew how to do Mm. Two immovable objects, you know, collide. But there was a lady who uh, took a special interest in me, I guess. Because she had worked in the legal office where I had so much conflict with people. And she said she was behind the scenes and knew the personalization. You know, so to me, a legal system is not about your personal feelings. It's about a legislative body that says this is the way we operate. It's not we don't like him, so we're going to get him. Small town kind of stuff, right? And she was just like, something happened because I was immediately defensive with her because she worked in that office. So I was like, oh, I already know how you feel about me because I've dealt with this. And something happened like where I was like, okay, if I want to get in and shift this whole thing, maybe I need to listen. Something just dawned on me. And I think it was because I helped her carry something. Okay. Like she saw a break. She was just a very pure example of like compassion. Mm. She finally got that chance to see like what my grandma knew, my dad knew. Like in my heart, I'm a good person. You know, I know I'm not out for malintent. And I think it was just because I helped her carry something. I was like, I'm sure you're totally capable of doing it. But my my upbringing says you won't do it around me. That's just what I do. And so it kind of began this thing. And. She's like, okay, so let's look at the facts. I don't think you're the kind of person who's intentionally just saying F you. She goes, I've seen cases like that where people don't care, you know, and they're going to get away with all they can get away with. She's like, your record shows you made efforts. You tried. You just couldn't sustain, you know, and um, then I had to go do time. And that was like right after my dad died. Like I actually got another year on my another charge because my dad was dying with cancer and the coolest thing was this whole process he's in hospice right and so i'm the kind of person that i have felony warrants on me but i'm not turning myself in because i know he's sick and he don't have nobody take care of him so i tell the hospice people what's up i'm like you just need to know here's my situation Here's our situation. He's here in your care and I'm going to stay with him, but I'm not going to bring that kind of noise into this. Cause I consider that like a sacred, sacred space. You know what I'm saying? That's a process of life. It's a lot of native American cultures look at it as a ceremonial process, but they were really cool. They like made all the accommodations for me to be able to stay with my dad. Same thing at the funeral home after he passed away. You know, and I coped with that with substances. That was the only way I could function. And, uh, you know, I self-medicated with stimulants, of course, you know, like not prescription, whatever, just did my thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was just kind of like the person that I didn't fit the stereotype of like an illicit drug user. Does that make sense? Yeah, you were truly yeah. self-medicating. Like it wasn't truly. just it wasn't just truly. recreational, just to get high yeah. or just to numb out. It was 
Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that there weren't times where I got bent out of frame. You know, you can always go too far, especially when it's not regulated. Mm-hmm. So that the funeral home a month to the day after my dad passed, I got picked up by, you know, they finally caught me with the warrants. So I ended up doing like pretty much two years. Well, the same lady who was like, kind of like my benefactor in one sense kind of showed up and she's like, look, here's what you need to do. And she's stayed with me and walked with me through the process of filing for my SSI. Okay. Going, she had me sit up with a, a psychologist, like a licensed clinical psychologist when I got out. So that was the first time I've really ever, it makes me emotional because there's a lot of love, you know what I'm saying? And it was like such a turning point after that long of just screaming for help that somebody stuck and stayed. <sighs> this is unexpected, but, and just, you know, but even like the situation was too much for that person, you know, like they had to step away, but they got me on the right track. What what was what was that clinical psychologist saying to you that that was um, and that was really helpful to you or really kind of moved you? Well, it was actually the lady and her compassion, but there's the genuine concern. Like, okay, it's funny how when you just have a couple people that will vouch for your character, it's you can translate easier into people just accepting who you are. You know, it's like, because I guess I had got to a point where I'd become so jaded and like rigid and defensive that I was coming off like an asshole and didn't even really know because all I knew was I was just reacting. But uh, she's like, we're going to figure this out. And then she referred me to a uh, nurse practitioner psychiatrist. And that's where I first got like medicated because the funny thing is I knew this lady from another, like probably 15 years before in my life. That's who walks out to be my psychiatrist. And she's like, she looks at me and she goes, Jeremy. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I thought that was you. So we sit and we had a dialogue and she's like, what medicines have you been on before? I'm like, I've never been medicated. She goes, you're kidding me. She's like, I knew that way back when, you know, <laughs> Like I knew you needed medication then. And she's like, okay, so let's start this. And it started out with like a depression medication and anxiety medication. And then I came back, you Did know, that help? It, just, it started. Yeah. It was different. It was different. Like following a regimen, regulated doses and things like that. And then probably about three plus months in, like, you know, after all the assessments and everything like that, cause I got assessed for like a vocational rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, I don't know, the lady's like clearly ADHD clearly. And it was just like, but no one had ever given me the proper test for it. It was all speculative. Right. But she went ahead and treated me for it. And I guess it was her feedback. Whenever I came back the next month, she's like, if you could just see how you presented walking in the door, She's like, I'm just blown away. Hmm. And that kind of began the journey. But then when I moved from Kentucky to West Virginia, because I was still homeless at this time. And um, like I said, I've just always been divinely blessed by people showing up. And, you know, I met a guy and he's like, man, I got a room. You can stay, you know, and 
I kind of had shelter until everything came through with my uh, SSI. Let me back you up you for know? a sec. So when when you yeah, were, yeah. when you were with this uh, psychiatrist, is that who diagnosed you with ADHD? She did, but I was never given any test because okay. this was back in like 2017, 2018. Okay, and but she went ahead and prescribed me for the ADHD. Okay, and uh, it wasn't until I moved to West Virginia that. Number one, when I left Kentucky and came to West Virginia, like West Virginia is very stringent on their prescription. They put me on Stratera. They put me on like, um, what else was it? Fluoxetine, Fluoxetine, I think, trying all those things. And I was just, I went through almost probably about a good year of just being very off, trying different medications and different things, but knowing the process of the medical field. You know, there's like a step-by-step process. Mm-hmm. We're going to try this first because we're not giving you this because it's, you know, the ba- big, bad stimulant world. And I'm like, look, I know what works for me. I do. This is where I function best because at one point, and I'll say this, when I was self-medicating, like I would microdose myself with stimulants. And that's probably the most cohesive functioning time I ever had in my life. But then when I would tell people what I was doing to they're like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. I'm like, well, what I'm doing is probably not very socially acceptable. But I figured out this method to a madness. But anyway, so I finally saw a clinician here. He's like, you know what? We got all this speculation. He's like, I'm going to order these tests. He goes, that way we got fact, like hard fact, clinical test mm-hmm. that no one can refute. It's not speculation. It's on paper. And he fought for a good, like, two, three months with the insurance company to get them to cover the test. And But he didn't let up off of it. He really went to bat for me. He's like, because you need help. He's like, but this is the only way we're going to get it for you is take these steps, adhere to this, you know, process, and that's how you do it. And he made a lot of sense, you know, but... He's someone who has like experience in the field, but he also has experience in the process of like recovery. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a really good fit. And uh, I actually still haven't seen a psychiatrist since I've been to West Virginia. I got one coming up, you know what I'm saying? Just to, I feel like I'm on a pretty good like regimen now because I started school like all this what, what what was it that made you that that was your sort of the impetus for you to go back to school i mean you're 46 years old and you're you're now studying what was it uh, uh something with technology and engineering safety engineering safety technology okay so what was yeah. it that made you go you know i'm i think i'm gonna go back to school well in all the uh, assessments i had like since i'm not really <laughs> So I don't fit at a nine to five, you know what I'm saying? Or like standing still or like adhering to do it this way. Cause that's the only way to do it because I can get in quick and I excel right off the bat, but it's like long sustained interactions and like dynamics that kind of inevitably there's a, and like I always got away with that because I traveled around so much, just kind of kept it brief in any setting I was in. And, or I'd work with my dad, you know what I'm saying? People who knew how I was, but, um, 
there's like post-secondary education is probably a very viable route for this, you know, for his process because we don't really see him. I don't know. There was like a, so here's the thing. I'm going to say this because people were telling me, cause I'm like, something's not right with me. So people were telling me to don't bathe, to don't take care of myself, to basically just let myself become like degraded so I could qualify for help. You know what I'm saying? To get like some kind of like help with my issues. And I was like, I couldn't get down with that. I was like, I don't have to stink, you know, just because I was taught how to like take care of myself hygiene wise doesn't really mean I was like integrated with the ability to like balance budgets and, you know, be a functioning adult. But it's like, I remember the lawyer told me because I got my decision really quick and I was just honest, you know, and even they were like, what's wrong with you? Like they thought I was on drugs when I wasn't medicated. You know what I'm saying? Because I was so hyper. Like, what are you on? I'm like, nothing. I don't have my medication. She said, you know, back through every stage of your process, there's a continuity, a baseline, like, you know, because you know how it is in like psychology and stuff like that. They can tell if people are feigning, you know what I'm saying? Trying to put on things like they got tests for that. And I felt really good that I did it honestly. Like I was authentic. I was legitimate. And I was like, I need help. And here's what, you know, here's my story. Kind of like this, except for a bunch of different times, right? <laughs> it's like, I got to meet somebody else and I got to tell them my story. But I really, um, there was, there was something kind of like a vindication in that because there was a truth. You know what I'm saying? Because so many people get bent out of frame, like, oh, I got this. And they say they're just drug seeking and they're just this and they're just that. So to really authentically, you know, like, authentically ADHD present myself truthfully and like get the feedback and the vindication, so to speak, you know, for all those years of like, there's nothing wrong with you. You just need to get your shit together. (laughs) Help me. Yeah. Can you help me with that? So you, you know, from the time you're in high school to, to now it's been a, a journey of, of really good intentions to a lot of missteps with a, um, strong, per- <laughs> strong personality. Well put. Uh, <laughs> well put, Eric. And a lot of um, just variables of of circumstance. Um, yeah. And so, like one of the things that that you had uh, said that you know, kind of where wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Right? Well, I think with all the traveling and the moving around, and just kind of like I was always avoiding this internal work, you know, cause at some point in time, you got to face the man in the mirror, you know, on any, any level of any like psychological modality that you look at, there has to be a point of meeting yourself and knowing yourself, knowing your light, knowing your shadow, kind of like you get into young in archetypes, right? Like there's this pristine, like ideal version of you, but then there's this like, not so great, part of you that does things that you really have this guilt, shame, remorse about, but you have to own it, right? You can't, you can't deny it or you start fragmenting the personality. So it's like, if we're into wholeness, if we're bringing it all together to present as a cohesive unit so that we can function in a socially working model, which is what I've tried to do, but I really wanted to do it authentically. I didn't want to do it mindlessly or, in a 
cowardly, not cowardly, but no kowtowing. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to bow down. Now, if you show me you can present legitimately and that you're there and you're presenting yourself authentically, I'll get with you. You know, I think that's one of the things I was attracted to about your podcast. And I got like really excited because it was like one of the first things I started listening to that was factually based. You'd done work in the field. You were doing work in like having coping mechanisms and strategies and things like that. I'm like, see, that's what I need to get down with instead of this aimless throwing darts in the dark, spinning around in circles. Where's the board at? But we're going to throw it anyway and just hope it hits the board. You know, that's the whole reason to have goals. So we don't uh, throw a dart at, at, at a person instead of mm-hmm. the, the dartboard. <laughs> just put your eye out, kid. <laughs> right. Like maybe we'll hit the wall, but at least it's the wall that was intended for the darts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's just very logical. Like we were talking before we got on here about, it's just, it's practical. You know what I'm saying? Like you have this idealistic kind of like perspective. If it's not gauged in some kind of like empirically proven process, then it, it doesn't come together wholly. If yeah, that makes sense. It does. And Jeremy, you know, hearing, hearing your, your story, um, I, I, I think, and I hope that for listeners, no matter kind of what you're personally going through, no matter what sort of, uh, the, the depth of your, uh, you know, the, the lowest place you can go to, um, no matter kind of what shit life's thrown at you and how, yeah. how you've been, uh, how life's just, you know, thrown in too many curveballs and has beamed you too many times. Uh, I'll give <laughs> your baseball metaphors there. Um, right, right. you know, I think that if, if Jeremy can get back up at 46 year old, at 46 years old and get, go back to school and continue learning and own his shit and working on it as he can. Um, you know, it's, it's never too late. It's never Never. too late. And, you know, so Jeremy's making this, this, uh, he's on this path towards improvement. Um, you you know, there will probably be other missteps and like (laughs) all the ones that in the past, you'll, you'll figure this out. So, right. Man, keep on uh, doing what you're doing here, Jeremy. It's uh, I really appreciate you sharing uh, your story. Hey, with, buddy, with I appreciate you having me on for real. I just want to say uh, it ain't if you fall down seven times, as long as you get up eight, you're all right. That's right. And like a lot of uh, respect and love to you for real for what you're doing. You know, it's a productive, positive message. It's kind of been very pivotal, pivotal. That's not even a word. It is today <laughs> in my process to like you know, get grounded because it's not been easy. And I appreciate the acknowledgement of, you know, it don't got to be pretty as long as it's not how you start, it's how you finish kind of deal. And I don't feel 46, just so you know, <laughs> in my mind, I'm like 26. <laughs> me too. And, and, and I'm, like, I'm like 20. And then I look in the mirror. I'm like, where the hell did all my hair go? What happened? <laughs> I started, I started shaving my head like 25 years ago, man. I just said, just forget about it. <laughs> Because I was born with a five head anyway. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Franklin, thank you so much for sharing your story in the podcast. I really appreciate it and wish you the very uh, best of luck and success. And, uh, you know, keep growing. Hey, buddy. I appreciate you, man, for real. Thanks a lot for having me. You bet. Take care. 
This is Eric Tivers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. You can apply to our free and secret Facebook community. You can learn more about ADHD Rewired's intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. While you're there, click the Patreon button. If you're a regular listener and you're still listening to my voice, consider making a monthly contribution by becoming a patron through our Patreon page. If you are able to financially support my work, it would mean a lot. This show is free to listeners, but it is not free to produce. And patrons get really cool perks. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tibbers. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ADHD Rewired. If you're a coach, therapist, or related professional, connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash Eric Tibbers. You can also subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and you can subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and see select interviews and some other videos I've posted. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends and your family and your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. And if you're a coach, therapist, doctor, or ADHD support group leader, and you would like a pack of podcast postcards to hand out, you can request those at my website, ADHDrewired.com. And if you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, please be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone. You know, you might be the person that turns somebody on to a podcast for the very first time. And if you really love this episode, please consider hitting share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things that you can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or any other podcast app that accepts ratings and reviews. And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast on your podcast app so new episodes are automatically pushed to your favorite podcast app. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Not sure where to start? In no particular order. Check out Atomic Habits by James Clear, The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk, 10% Happier, and Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. These are both by Dan Harris. Change Your Questions and Change Your Life by Marilee G. Adams. The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Do you have trouble asking for help? Listen to The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. It's one of the best produced audiobooks I've ever heard. If you're looking for something a little bit more, say, magical, I unexpectedly fell in love with the Harry Potter series. And I don't usually listen to those kinds of books. And I loved it. And of course, if you haven't yet boarded the Brene Brown bus yet, check out Brene Brown's books, starting with The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, The Power of Vulnerability, and if you're an entrepreneur or a leader in any capacity, check out her 2018 book, 
dare to lead. And Brene still is my most wanted guest. So if you know Brene, you would be so kind to make that connection for me. I will be really, really grateful. You know who else I would like to have on the show? You. Click the podcast tab at ADHDrewired.com and then click the Be a Guest button at the top of that page and schedule a 15-minute pre-interview. This is Eric Tiggers reminding you to keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. Self-care is not selfish, and no matter what gets done or doesn't get done, at the end of the day, you are still enough. And no matter how hard it feels, we can do hard things. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.